Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the major motion podcast, where we talk about the biggest and the best films coming to theaters and streaming online, and sometimes playing at a symphony near you. That's right, from the San Francisco Bay Area, it's me, John Agroni, film editor for, uh-oh, not the youngfolks.com. There's been a big, big change. Before we get to that, from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he's a news and entertainment writer at Collider. It's Will Ashton. Hey, Will. Hello. Hey. How you doing? I call... I'm okay. I called you a news and entertainment writer again. I forgot what you wanted it to change to. Was a features editor? What are oh, you? Whatever. I I am who I am. That's all I can say. All right. Collider's uh, main software engineer, Will Ashton. Um, you said I could do that. Um, okay. Uh, big, big news. Big news. Uh, we weren't able to talk about it last week because the news became public like right when we published our last episode of Cinemaholics where we talked about Decision Elite. But Will Ashen, the rumors are true. It's uh, the Young Folks is no more. The Young Folks has shut down. As of November 1st, no more articles are being posted to the young folks. But that's strange. You don't seem very sad. You, do, you don't look as if you lost something uh, all that important and dear to you. I wonder why that is. Well, I would assume you have some sort of announcement to make. Uh, some sort of announcement, indeed. It's like I teed you up for it on purpose. Um, it is true that the young folks are shutting it down. It was it was the decision of the owner of the site, Gabrielle Bondi, who started the site back in 2010. Now, for those of you who don't know, The Young Folks was being run by a team of editors, uh, but not by Gabby. Gabby left The Young Folks a few years ago, and uh, I became film editor. Allison Johnson became editor-in-chief. And of course, we have our other wonderful editors there as well. And we've been doing the site ourselves uh, for a while now. However, when we found out that the site was going to be shut down, we decided we want to stick together. We, we like writing together and working together and everything like that. So we are officially starting our own new show, our own new, our show. I, I have podcasts on the brain or something. We're starting our own new platform, our new outlet. And uh, it is going to be launching probably by the time you listen to this, because we should be releasing this, I think, the same day, November 8th. So I don't even know, Will, if I'm supposed to say anything super specific yet. I guess I will, because I want to. But uh, <laughs> the new site is called In Between Drafts. So inbetweendrafts.com. And uh, you should be able to check it out as soon as you hear me say it. And it's pretty exciting stuff. I want to talk about it a lot more as we start to fill it out and everything. But yeah, if I sound a little tired, it's because uh, literally we, uh, we have spent the last few weeks just, you know, working on this site, building it, trying to make it better than, you know, we could hope. And obviously there are a lot of emotions, a lot of bittersweet emotions about the young folks going away. I mean, the only thing I'll say for now about it is, you know, it's been one of my main outlets, of course, since 2018. I, that's what the first thing I wrote. Uh, and it's fun. We, the editors, we got together and we were looking at like our first post that we ever did. And uh, I know, Will, my my first one, I don't know if you remember, but the first thing I ever wrote for the site was about the end of the effing world on Netflix. And uh, I, I guess that sums things, sums things up pretty well. But the first one was the end of the effing world. But uh, well, yeah, the end is beginning is the end. Yeah, that was a sentence. Um, and I know you were writing for young folks uh, before I did, you know, and yeah, uh, it's, I don't know how you're how you're feeling. I assume you were as bummed out as I was, if not more so to hear about it going away. Yeah, I mean, it's 
It's been a site I've been writing for on and off, I think, for the past uh, few years, at least, I think, going back to 2016. Um, yeah, I mean, it was uh, thankfully only like a momentary uh, sadness because initially I thought it was going to be uh, an entire loss. But then, you know, shortly after that uh, announcement, you told me uh, that, you know, it was revealed that there would be a new site, which would hopefully uh, host a lot of the previous articles in addition to a bunch of new and exciting content. Um, I don't even know if you're allowed to say what stuff will be on in between drafts that isn't already on uh, the young folks, like the new editors or any of the new content you're going to be uh, looking to explore. I don't want to reveal anything that's uh, premature, but sure. I can talk about it yeah. a little bit. Um, we're actually not going to start bringing on over posts that were on the young folks until the new year. So we'll be starting totally from scratch at the very beginning. Um, and that's just because the young folks will still technically be like live. It will still exist for another two months because we're giving the writers from over the years, a lot of writers, the young folks over the last decade or so, uh, we want to give them time to back up their posts and everything, have everything saved. Uh, but we're also working on some posts that we want to bring over from the young folks, stuff we're really proud of, you know, that we want to, you know, bring forth to this new site uh, so that they can still see the light of day, of course, but can't do that quite yet. Uh, that said, I know for this site, we're, we're seeing it as a really great opportunity because it, you know, it's going to be our thing, right? And the whole goal of the young folks back in 2010 was that the original founders, you know, they, they wanted a site that was more diverse, that represented the voices of a younger generation. And that's what the young folks has been for a long time. But now, you know, at this point, a lot of us kind of look at a site called the young folks and are like, not all of us are that young anymore. <laughs> and we wanted to do, you know, kind of update it too and do our own thing that's like based on a brand that we put together ourselves. And that's kind of what in between drafts is getting at. It's something that we want to uh, you know, make it feel like it's uh, the next step of the young folks, but also be its own thing separate from the young folks, of course. And the other editors, uh, we, we really just like, we, we cover games, movies, film on my end, of course, books. Uh, we're also introducing a new category of anime, anime and manga. It's going to be awesome, but uh, I'm very excited to share more about that as time goes on. And also for those of you listening who like our other show that Will and I do that we did for the young folks called Mad Men Men, uh, it's been on hiatus because of this transition. We haven't been able to publish anything, um, but uh, starting soon, it's going to be coming back for season two because we just finished season one of Mad Men on that show, and, but it's going to be part of in between drafts now and we're also looking at having a tighter relationship between cinemaholics and this new site as well since you know it kind of makes sense but uh, no no huge changes on uh any of that stuff anytime soon the feeds should all be staying the same so if you have these podcasts downloaded and everything you shouldn't have to worry about anything like that uh especially for the time being uh we have no plans really to mess with any of that stuff so yeah a lot a lot to get through i'm uh, i'm already emotional well we haven't even gotten to the movie all this drama before we got to the drama. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think it's going to be a very exciting and uh, promising series of developments. And I'm excited to see the new site when it goes live tomorrow. I've seen a preview, I guess. I've seen like a teaser uh, for the yeah. site. But I haven't seen the, the thing, the real deal, the, the actual site itself. So I'm excited for that to debut very soon. If it's not already debuted by the time you're listening to this here episode. Yeah, we worked pretty hard on it. And uh, very, very excited because we're going to be uh, one of the first things on there is going to be uh, my review of Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Uh, the embargo is about to lift. So 
that's going to be live. And uh, I, I guess it's pretty fitting that that's going to be, you know, a, a movie called, you know, Wakanda Forever being one of the first posts on this new site. There we go. Uh, better than the end of the effing world. Well, <laughs> a little less bleak, right? You say that, but I think my first thing on there is going to be my review of Armageddon Time, which is uh, a little ah, disconcerting for me. <laughs> so, uh, that's true, yeah. That's true. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just kind of like pushing it over to you, I guess. Um, but anyway, lots of other stuff to talk about and announce on that front, but we'll leave it there for now. Uh, any questions, of course, just hit us up via email um, if you're curious. And I know a lot of our people in the Cinemaholics community aren't that attached to the young folks, I assume. So I, I don't think too many people will be that uh, upset about it, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but if you are, so, let me know, cause, uh, I want to know. So presumptuous, Jonathan. I guess so. Listeners. Yeah, a little, a little presumptuous on me. <laughs> um, before we get into things, I know there's a bunch of other stuff that came out that, uh, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing. I mean, I, I hope that I can catch uh, Weird, the Al Yankovic story this week. Um, I want to, but I have so many screenings. I don't know how I'm going to be able to fit it in. But uh, you haven't seen it yet, right? No, I haven't seen that. There are quite a few things um, that have recently come out or just came out that I want to see. Uh Probably the biggest one, if I can pronounce the title correctly, is the Banshees of Ishrin or Ishrin, however you pronounce Eddie that. Sheeran, yeah. Eddie Sheeran. Is it like Ed um, Sheeran, um, but like Eddie Sheeran? <laughs> Eddie Sheeran. Yeah. yeah, and it's a fictional place, so I can't talk okay. you too much. But I, uh, I, I cannot wait. I'm ambling for you to see that because I want to talk to you about it. I think it would be a great discussion. Yeah, I'm very. Yeah, I'm. I'm I've heard. You know incredible things. I mean, not only from you, but from many other critics and audiences. It seems to be, uh, if not the best reviewed film of the year so far, certainly in the top five or three. Uh, so I, I mean, you know, I, I've had sort of a, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what word it would be to use to, uh, Martin McDonald's, uh, filmography. I feel it's kind of been diminishing returns for me since in Bruges, but I just love in Bruges so much and i i'm really excited for that collaboration that reunion of those three central yeah. uh people obviously him and then colin farrell and uh brendan gleason so i think i mean i'm three yeah. billboards three billboards outside of ebbing missouri kind of soured some folks on mcdonough but i feel like his stage work and uh, everything he's done on that end will well always be you know highly sure. cherished right i mean an undeniable talent i think but yeah. I mean, I just think, you know, Seven Psychopaths, fun movie, not in Bruges, but fun. And then, you know, I think Three Billboards, there's stuff in it I like. There's a lot of stuff in it that I'm just kind of frustrated by. I, I don't know. It, maybe it's a film I need to revisit. I don't know. It, it, it's a film I've had sort of mixed feelings on. So I wasn't... We'll have, we got to save yeah. this all for the review, Will. You're, sure. you're, you're doing your McDonough uh, profile a little early. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's other things. I mean, Till, I still need to see. I know you're very high well, I was about film. to say, Till is... Till is the highest rated movie playing right now. And it is, is it one though? of the highest of the rated of the year. It's higher rated than Banshees of Vinnie Sharon. Yeah. You mean like Rotten Tomatoes um, wise or review like Metacritic wise? Because I feel like Metacritic, both. it's not as high. I, I'd have to double check Metacritic. But yeah, Till, Till is pretty highly rated. Um, I know a lot of people look at it and they assume like a certain sort of thing from it because of the subject matter. But it's it's a very good movie. Uh, and I think it's uh, better than some people are giving it credit for. Uh, including Will Ashton. Um Mm. co-host of cinemaholics so yeah it looks like banshees is 87 on metacritic and till is 78 so definitely 
That's yeah, pretty geez. close, right? And both not of those really, are pretty but, high. Uh, but no, I, I, I do think, I mean, I'm not trying to um, put down Till. I'm sure it's it's a good film and I'm curious to see it. I might try to squeeze that in this week because I'm pretty sure it's going to be leaving theaters near me sooner rather than later. I've been trying to like, catch up on these, all these movies that are just kind of coming and going of a good note around me, you know, yeah, like Triangle of Sadness. I still haven't seen um, Causeway. Uh, I haven't, yeah. I, I obviously... Everyone already knows. I mean, you didn't have to, I don't even have to say this out loud, I suppose, but I, I did see One Piece film read, which, you know, that was just uh, an experience, you know, for One Piece oh, fans boy. like myself who, How did that? yeah, we have our, we have our own corner of the world. There's, you know, billions of us, of course, and, mm. you know, we're, we're having fun. How'd that do at the box office? I was very curious to see how Very that well. I think it's yeah. the most successful One Piece movie yet. Okay. I think it made like somewhere around like 9 million or something compared to uh, One Piece Stampede, I think was the last one that made like maybe like 3 million. Mm-hmm. So it is doing super well. And that's because One Piece is in the middle of really just kind of like ebbing into its it just started its final saga one piece for those of you don't know is one of the most successful anime of all time it's one of the most best-selling pieces of fiction of all time um, about jk rowling um because of the manga the manga is over a thousand chapters chapter 1065 just came out this past week and it's it's just one of the biggest it's something that i know not a lot a ton of americans know about a lot of us grew up though like kind of maybe seeing one piece on like four kids and you know stuff like when we were you know like i don't think i think it was on toonami but i don't know how many people saw it on toonami uh that said one piece is still ongoing it's been going since the late 90s it's like doctor who for anime fans i guess but uh it is going to end they're they're gonna get to the final you know saga and it's heating up a lot like the interest in one piece is like i've never seen it this active i don't think i've seen it this active since one of the big arcs back in like 2009 2008 which was like just this big culmination thing and we're heading toward another sort of event era one piece film red is like basically filler but it's really really fun filler what i mean by that is it's not part of like the main canon story of one piece but it has a lot of stuff in it that is obviously like painting toward what is coming um, and it's a lot of fan service and i think the best way now obviously the people listening are like well what does will think because will obviously likes one piece but uh, i have i have some bad news on that front yeah, I can't say I'm uh, too into anime, though. I, I sometimes feel like I'm in uh, uh, like an anime sandwich of some sort, because I've told you, John, <laughs> that my roommate is very much into anime, and obviously you're very into anime. So I get caught into these anime conversations that I have no point of reference to for the most part. Yeah, so. you're like, what is it with all these chainsaw men and these spy families? Yeah, sure. I can't keep up. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I've told uh, you, Will, on the sly, and this is kind of a fun tangent, but like, I, I genuinely like I watch anime more than most things these days, uh, TV wise and movie wise, because I think right now anime is like going through a really good period uh, peak fiction, as the kids like to call it, because I just think that like some of the best storytelling is coming out of like really good anime right now. And, and it, it has been like anime has been pretty good for a while, but uh, this season in particular is like just amazing stuff coming out. So that's all I'll say. That's why. Mm. Yeah, I can't uh, really comment on anime one way or the other as far as its current season or status, whatever word you use to describe it. Uh, we don't have any updates on the Pizza Wars. Uh, we did get one more voicemail, but uh, I, you know, it was another a feather in the cap of the anti-Dominoes folks and the pro-Pizza Huts. 
So it looks like Will might win this feud, this this war. But you won the battle, Will. I don't know if you won the war yet. So <laughs> I think you got it backwards. I, I think I've won the battle but lost the war. Uh, in the scheme of <laughs> I don't things, because it seems like Domino's uh, culturally is at a better place than Pizza Hut. But uh, you know, what do you mean by that? I don't know. It just seems like business wise, it seems like Domino's is probably oh. thriving in a way that you know. Uh, Pizza Hut's floundering. They don't have the pizza buffets anymore. They don't have, you know, all these things that initially made it so... Ultimately, taste wins out in the end. Well, that's all it comes down to, right? Mm. Oh, man. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I can't say I agree with that, but, you know, to each their own. We'll we'll keep you all posted. I know that's why the main reason you come back to the show every week, even if you're not interested in the movies. But hopefully you're interested in this movie we're about to talk about now because it is quite a big one in terms of the I would, main hmm? i was gonna say i mean sorry to interrupt you but i was gonna say I, I would love if someone went out and saw tar because they were so infatuated with our pizza conversation and they're right, at the yeah, movies they like how did you hear about this film <laughs> and you're like dominoes <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know tar was doing like a promotional tie-in with tar that would be pretty amazing actually um but no, when I say that this is like a big movie, obviously it's not like a big box office movie, right? I mean, it's it's only made $3.7 million at the box office. It's playing in, you know, select theaters, I think, at this current moment. I don't know if it's open, like, wide yet uh, or if it's going to. Uh, probably, though, when Oscar season really comes about, this is one of those movies I could see, you know, getting nominated for Best Picture and then, of course, Kate Blanchett and all that. So it could get, like, an Oscar push later. But it's big in terms of if you're following the cinematic landscape, this is uh, definitely a big festival, darling, something that I think a lot of folks are excited to uh, maybe champion this coming season. Uh, it's making the top of some best of the year list. But what do we think? Let's get into it. So Tar is the third film from writer, director and actor Todd Fields. Uh, he oh, man, his last work was the 2006 drama, the acclaimed 2006 drama Little Children. To this day, it has one of my favorite movie trailers ever it's it's a fantastic trailer i would even just if you haven't seen the movie or even if you haven't you haven't thought about it in a while i would check out the trailer for little children on youtube because it is how you do a trailer i think in my opinion so todd field is back after 16 years again 2006 not 2016 it's been 16 years since his last film which was a big you know words <laughs> favorite sure but uh, he's back with a vengeance here he made a i think i think it's good to call easy to call tar like a low-key psychological drama uh, it's not very like, heightened uh no, I just disagree. in the sense that like i i think that it's a draw it's a cycle i'm talking about the psychological stuff like sometimes disagree. i think people hear psychological and they think like psychological thriller but it's not that at all it's very cerebral uh compared to something like well that's true so, yeah um that's all i'm trying to get at Sure. I mean, I do want to talk about, obviously, I have a lot to say about the film. I'm very curious to hear what you think about the film. But I did want to talk a little bit about Todd Field because, I mean, he's a filmmaker that I remember as a teenager watching, like, Little Children, his previous film, and in the bedroom, uh, his directorial debut, and just feeling like, man, like, this is such a, you know, like, this. it was like at age, like, around 2006 when I was really getting into film as a like serious thing like not just as a past yeah we were like, high, i was is, high school i think you're probably what middle school around yeah middle time? school and i remember little children and in the bedroom when i saw them were very much like films where i was like okay like i'm watching some adult cinema here like this is like you know <laughs> heightened stuff and i don't know how you feel about his films or uh your relationship to his filmography if you've seen his previous two films but i've been chomping at the bit 
personally for his comeback as a filmmaker. Yeah, like I said, I'm a I'm I'm a big fan of Little Children. Um, I just think that you know, top to bottom, that movie works, and uh, I like it even more than In the Bedroom, which I think is also very strong work. Uh, in the Bedroom, I think it was like what, 2000, 2001. So, in, in terms of this film, yeah, comeback is the right word. And when I say low key, what I'm trying to get at is that it's not the kind of movie where just stuff is flying at you. It's not. It's not like very plot heavy in a way that I think a lot of people might assume it is. Um, but of course there is a plot stuff is happening. So the movie itself is following the life and potential downfall of the world famous conductor named Lydia Tarr played by Kate Blanchett in, I mean, what will almost certainly be her next nomination for best actress. And some might argue, I would argue her most deserving yet, which is saying quite a lot. She's had some great roles over the years, some stuff that she's been snubbed for some stuff. She's won that, I, you know, uh, good. I think she won, um, what was it for Blue Jasmine? Was uh that was her, her previous Best Actress win? I believe she also won yes. Best Supporting Actress for The Aviator. Or no, no, that was Tulsa okay, yeah. right? Or might mix them up. Uh, yeah, I'll have to look that up. But <laughs> I don't, I don't remember her winning Best Supporting Actress. But um, yeah, actually, I you know what? No, that was her in Aviator. So you should be right about that, right? I don't think that was Tilda Swinton. We'll look into it. Um, yeah, okay. So you Catherine are. Hepburn. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I just want to make sure that I, w- I think I was for a moment I was mixing her up with uh, Tulsa Swinton for Michael Clayton because I think she went oh, for okay. supporting. Act. Okay, but yeah, no, I I was to, to be totally honest. I Aviator is not a movie I think of often, so it took me a second. <laughs> so, sure. No, I just uh, was making. She did win for sure. Blue Jasmine, the Woody Allen film. Right. Yeah, which I think she's fantastic yeah. in that film. Yeah, I mean, I would say the Aviator. She should have won for Carol. I mean, certainly would have been more deserving, I think, than The Aviator. But I mean, I like that film fine. I think by, you know, Scorsese, I mean, for Best Actress, not not for Best Supporting. I think she should have gotten Best Actress for Carol. No, I understand. No, I'm saying if if she had gotten three or two Oscars before this, it would make more okay. sense for Carol and Blue Jasmine as opposed to Blue Jasmine and The Aviator. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, but no, I mean, I, I don't think The Aviator is like one of her best performances, nor is it one of Scorsese's best films, but I'd, I'd like it fine. I mean, if it gave her the platform to give the performances that she's been giving throughout the past decade, two decades, then I applaud it for that. I know. I know you look at her filmography and you're just like, well, where'd you go Bernadette? That was the one where she was, you know, clearly gunning for best actress. Uh, and then some. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But no, I know a lot of people a lot of people come to mind of her when it comes to like her playing Queen Elizabeth, of course, uh, Galadriel from Lord of the Rings. And yeah, she, she's always going to be one of our most iconic, you know, modern actresses, I think. And uh, just great to see her in a film like this that I think is actually really paying close attention to, I think, her deepest strengths as an actor, which she has a bit of an edge to her that I think sometimes her roles don't fully capitalize on. Uh, some, and sometimes they do. I don't know. Well, but, um yeah, I was gonna say not only an edge, but a sort of like mystique at times. Like there's often like this kind of unknowable quality about her. Like there's like you can constantly kind of see like the the clock ticking in her brain, but there's something that's like almost kind of hard to read or unknowable about her, even when she's very very present, very emotional. It's just very fascinating to me. Yeah, I mean, I've always liked to think of her as like our modern Lauren Bacall honestly where she's she's like a modern femme fatale or like the an elevated femme fatale kind of actress uh, in a lot of yeah. her roles so and uh and, i mean i thought that's why i was very inspired casting for her in uh nightmare alley last year though i don't think that was like her greatest showcase that's right, yeah uh yeah that was a bit unfortunate that one but uh anyway 
still we'll like talk that about movie, Del Toro but, pretty sure. soon, won't yeah. we, with uh, Pinocchio? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but anyway, back to Tar. We mainly witness the daily life of this person, a fictional person, of course, uh, the daily life of Lady Tar, as she navigates the politics of the Berlin Philharmonic, in which she is their first female chief conductor. We see her in high-profile interviews. I think it would put for the New York uh, film festival uh we see her guest teaching a class at juilliard and and overall she she has this subtle but certainly noticeable issue with how she manages her own power in these social hierarchies but another way she's like a, a toxic human being but i think i think she's toxic in a very interesting more human way than a lot of movies tend to get at uh, in this even in our sort of like film festival vein of like what's coming out these days she's in one scene, for example, she'll be very kind, she'll be very caring, like with her wife and her child, her wife played by Nina Haas, but then she'll be just quietly ruthless, not even quietly ruthless, but just like ruthless with a, a student in uh, that class I mentioned for Juilliard, where he doesn't even realize he's being eviscerated until it's too late. Uh, there's also, though, a very apparent thread of her grooming young women uh, with hints of it happening in the past, perhaps with her dedicated assistant played by Naomi Merlant. And then also a former member of, I think it was her fellowship program named Krista, who was then sort of excommunicated from the symphonic community. And as this film proceeds, we follow a sort of a grooming in action uh, with a promising young cellist named Olga played by Sophie Cower. And what I mean, when, this is where I mean by like the low key stuff. There's a lot that you don't see. A lot of stuff that's more implied where you have to sort of fill in the blanks yourself, but it's so, you know, apparent what's going on that it's hard to deny. Right. Uh, and on um, that note, I, I cause, uh, go ahead, but I, I had a big note on that. Sure. Well, I guess for me, where I push back on that is that I feel like this is a type of film from the very, very beginning that kind of lays all the cards on the table in the sense that like, it doesn't really withhold a whole lot of information in the sense that like you kind of gradually learn a lot about Lydia as the movie goes on but like it's very um upfront about like who she is and like how she has this core of inflat uh inflated sense of self this sort of like ego that's been built and self-defined but like obviously there's all these other people that are kind of building that that clout and that mystique and that she's the one that kind of is buying her own illusion the most and therefore the one who's most likely to be kind of caught up in the uh the tragedy and the downfall of, of uh her inability to kind of learn her own lessons and so i think for me like it's not low-key or it's yeah it's not low-key in the sense that like it's like kind of subtle and like those sort of details, but I guess compared to like other films, like it's, it's kind of presenting it in a very uh, mature in a way that like respects the audience's intelligence as far as like, it's not going to spoon feed everything to you. I guess that's where exactly. you're kind of, yeah, that's what, maybe it's not the best way to describe it, but yeah, it's, it's not the kind of movie where she looks at the camera or she has a conversation, like an Oscar clip moment with someone where she's like, but I'm Lydia Tarr, you know, it, it just does not go down that road because I think Phil is a much better writer than that. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned that too, because uh, obviously ready to hear your overall thoughts on the movie, but I, I, I want to start it in this place because I think that there's already a narrative about this film from the critical community that 
uh, I think we should address because we are we are going to be talking about this a little bit later than uh, some of the other film critics out there. But many have called Tar a film about cancel culture or the idea of how celebrities can be undermined or taken down by organized social media hit campaigns, while other people have totally rejected that this movie is about cancel culture and have said, like, no, 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 you're, you're missing the point and all that. I personally, I came away from the film honestly believing that it's not about cancel culture just cancel culture is in it it's part of the plot machinations i think it's it's foolish to say that like cancel culture doesn't come into play with this movie now i have my own hang-ups about how obsessed hollywood and stand-up comedians and everybody's obsessed with cancel culture and i think in an Mm. inflated way but i think what's interesting about this movie to me is that i think it's about something much deeper and more complex than what we think about when we think about backlash right now like i think it's i honestly it has a more timeless take on cancel culture that is more understanding of what came before in in terms of that sort of thing and uh it's to what you were saying more mature about it more honest about it um rather than something like i, I even mentioned in my review i haven't seen she said yet the the harvey weinstein kind of recounting i think that this might be like the antithesis to that movie in that sense um because it's not going to be new i don't I- think it's reactionary I was going to say the same thing, but I thought that would be too mean because I haven't seen that film yet. But I saw that trailer I'm not, again. I'm not trying to cast any, but yeah. you can watch the trailer for She Said and I did. really draw some you know, conclusions, no, right? Honestly, I mean, I was going to say I saw the trailer for that again before this movie. Like just before it started, they mm. play that trailer. And it's kind of night and day as far as like, I mean, look, I'm, I'm going to go into she, she Said with an open mind. I'm hoping it's good. I mean, I like journalism movies. I'm a journalism yeah, same major. Here, same here. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just looks very sort of artless in how it presents these things. It's very like... It's straightforward. It's very straightforward. Some people prefer. They, they yeah. want that kind of accounting of things, don't they? Yeah, it, it's very on the nose about it. It's very direct, which is fine. I mean, if that's what you want out of the film, if you want you know, exactly what you're going to get, if you want kind of like what you see on the menu is what the mo- you're going to get from the film. That's fine. But this is obviously something a lot more weighted and meaty and uh, dense and methodical in how it's presenting this information. But I mean, to your point, I do agree that like it, it's this movie was being written. I believe this is like his pandemic project from what I had read. Like he wrote this within the span of, I think three months during lockdown, which is crazy to me, but uh, yeah, it's, Obviously coming out around, you know, being conceived around 2020, maybe the idea was there before or whatever, but that conversation, the cancel culture, Me Too, what have you, uh, is integral to the film in the sense that, like, that's a conversation being had, but that's more of, like, a launching point than the the whole article of the film. Like, it's it's obviously going for something a lot more complicated, a lot more humane, a lot more nuanced in that conversation. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, you can't say it's not that, but that's not only what it is. Exactly. That's exactly right. Uh, And especially because I think that, you know, it's not sort of coming out at a time where, you know, the Me Too movement is in like happening that much. (laughs) I think that like we're kind of in the post Me Too where it's still a thing. Like it's still something that I think a lot of people are thinking about and talking about. But there has been time to kind of settle on what, you know, the consequences, what the effects have been or lack of effects or what have you. And I've seen some people also look at this movie and say that like, hey, you know, this movie is like, uh, you know, anti-women or it's trying to be like, oh my gosh, like, you know, saying that a woman could be Harvey Weinstein and stuff like that. And I think that that's speaking to my opinion, what's really brilliant about the movie. It's trying to show in a gender neutral way that like this is what power does. And this is how like a lot of people in Hollywood use identity politics, something that this character 
you know, cast so many aspersions to in the beginning of the film, they use it to sort of protect themselves from accountability. And it's something that Harvey Weinstein did. Like specifically, he did that to sort of like curry favor with the like kind of intelligentsia of Hollywood to protect himself. And it's stuff like that, that I think like, again, speaks to how this movie has so much more on its mind than just trying to have a simplistic, like this was bad and you should feel bad about it. But instead being like, this happened and this is very interesting. Let's examine all the factors that went into how monsters like this survive and thrive in places where you would think, you know, the arts would shield people from this kind of abuse. So uh, anyway, that's a long preamble for you, Will. I, I really want to know what you think about this movie. I think it's clear for people listening that uh, I'm a big fan. I think it's very, very good. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny that you bring up that we're doing this late because uh, I just saw this movie yesterday, um, just by nature of the film not really coming out near me until later. So I I feel like I'm at somewhat of a disadvantage compared to you because you've seen this movie, uh, you saw it like, what, a month or two ago by now? About a month ago. About I, a month I've ago, had yeah. a lot of time to really yeah. sit on it, yeah. Right, and that's this is the type of film that it's you know i i do love that we can have a podcast where we can kind of give our initial reactions to films and you know like really kind of evaluate films as they're coming out and have like kind of like a a time mark of what the reaction is initially at that time but this is the type of film that i feel like you really need to like sit with and process and you know really digest uh fully because it is not a film that you can like have just sort of that initial reaction to i mean i think you can in the sense that like i think this movie is really profound i think it's very beautifully made i think it's so dense and layered and methodical and meticulous in how it's made and i think it is going to probably withstand the test of time as one of the great films of 2022 but i mean we're coming off of a guy who very much very directly is a protege of kubrick which is obvious comparison but this guy i mean he was in um Eyes Wide Shut, he's Nick Nightingale. Uh, you know, he obviously is under the tutelage of Kubrick. And I've even seen some people say that this is like the Kubrick gets canceled kind of movie where it's like, what if Stanley <laughs> Kubrick was alive in 2022 and got canceled? Which, I mean, is that in the film? I don't know, maybe. But uh, I mean, I think that understanding of film in the way that like when you watch a Kubrick film, you, you, you don't really watch until you've seen it probably like four or five times. You know what I mean? Like you have to kind of like really process it read maybe a little bit about it watch it a second time watch it a third time and then you really get the full density if you ever really get the full density uh, of a film and i feel like i'm kind of at that point right now with tar where it's just like this is such a complex nuance beautifully uh layered film as i said and so i don't know if my initial reaction is going to be as uh you know i, I don't know if it matches the profoundness of the film as as i see at the moment but uh i undeniably am a fan of the film uh, I, I feel like I'll try to kind of match what my fe my feelings are at the film with this conversation, but I feel like I'm only going to come short in the long run at this moment. Yeah, I said in my uh, <laughs> I got I got some flack for this one, but I said in my letterbox review of this that uh, you know finally a whiplash movie for people who hate La La Land, um, which is just me being a little bit you know cheeky, I guess, but. Honestly, I th I think why this movie grabbed me like from the get go, like I, I didn't have that sort of initial reaction where like, hmm, I'm not 100% sure how I think about this. I think this is such a great case study in how an ending can be so perfect that I think that even even though I was really sort of still battling with myself about what I thoroughly believed about the movie and what it was saying, the ending 
absolutely it, it's perfect. I think it's it's one of the few endings that I think actually is perfect for the actual movie. I think it makes the movie even better. I think that it brings everything to fruition in a satisfying way, which reminds me a lot of Whiplash. But I think a lot of people look at, you know, the movie Whiplash and like it, but they look at something like La La Land right. and they're like, you know, okay, like, <laughs> right. you know, time, which, time to wake up, kid, you're dreaming. Mm-hmm. It's so funny, too, you mentioned that because there's a moment here without giving anything away where it looks like it's kind of going for like a cheaper version of the whiplash exactly, ending yeah. and that just yeah. completely subverts that and i think that's so great because uh i think part of the the thing i love about the film uh in addition to many other things we have discussed and will discuss is that i really throughout the film had no clear idea of like what was going to happen like i had an idea like there's obviously the foreshadowing of her going to get quote-unquote canceled like the idea that like there is this foreshadowing of doom for her uh, career, but like on a scene by scene basis, I really wasn't certain what was going to happen. And that's such an invigorating thing to watch as a film watcher, certainly one that is, that watches many films we do, kind of just not really knowing on a scene by scene basis where things are going to go, but knowing it, you're in the hands of a filmmaker who's going to guide this with such competence and, you know, thoroughness and thoughtfulness. Yeah, I love being in Todd Field's hands. Um, it, it has been so sad to see him. You know, it's not like he's been away because he doesn't want to make films. He's been attached to plenty of film projects, but uh, just a streak of circumstances outside of his control or him being more discerning have just created that gap of time. And I think, yeah, one of the silver linings of the pandemic was that it allowed us to get a new Todd Field movie. And I'm very happy about that because I forgot how much I really liked his painting of tension in a film. Uh, the tension in this movie in particular is quite, quite precise. I think it's it's a movie that's not afraid of what's going on right now, not just with the cancel culture stuff, but with social media. It's a film that uses social media as a tool, but a tool that I don't think will watch this movie in 10 years or 15 years and find it dated or find it a little like cute, you know, like, ah, you know, that's what directors thought it was like to use social media in 2022. I think I've used this word already, but he just has such a timeless approach to weaving technology into his movies. And I think it's because he understands how to use technology or to use the mood and feeling of a current moment like he did in Little Children. He knows how to use that as part of the narrative so that when you are actually seeing everything unfold, it's it's not just throwaway. It's not something you can take out of the movie and everything stays the same. I think that's why it works. Because all the little moments where you have people using social media in this movie or communicating with each other and things being unsaid or unclear in a text message or somebody posting about Tar while she's sleeping and what that says about her, what that says about what people think of Tar, like all of that stuff is instrumental to understanding the person through how other people see her so that when things happen later in the movie, it doesn't feel like, sorry for the lack of a better word here, but it doesn't feel like whiplash. It all feels like it's properly building to that moment. It properly feels like the kettle is boiling over for a reason that the audience can keep up with. And that to me is like what makes this movie a bit special because it is that kind of movie that young middle school Will Ashens can watch, you know, and and recognize the artistry here and start to unpack it for themselves because it's accessible without being dumb, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you go back to like his earlier two films in the bedroom and little children. And I mean, obviously it's been a little bit since I've seen those films. So maybe I'm oversimplifying them with this description, but they're kind of like kitchen sink dramas, but they're kind of um, like, they're kind of boiler three 
boilerplate thrillers at the same time. There's this like, like I remember the teaser for uh, little children. It's like a train kind of coming to the station as you're seeing like the little nuggets of oh, the scene and draw. And it's such a great teaser. If you ever yeah. haven't had a chance to watch it, fantastic teaser. Like that's to me is like one of the top examples of like how you should do a teaser for a film uh and i feel like literally what i said earlier you're just agreeing uh, with me (laughs) sure fair enough uh i'm just echoing what you said uh not unlike the echoes in this film uh (laughs) (laughs) we should talk about that when yeah you know the supernaturally kind of stuff happening Mm. in this movie it's the one thing that i don't think quite works but i'm trying to be open-minded because i might have just missed something I don't know if I can agree with that actually i was quite taken by and and delighted actually she's like hearing things yeah Okay. Uh, yeah, because that kind of reminded me of like um, Memoria from uh, for me earlier this year, though for you last year. Uh, that film, it, it's kind of a weird sort of companion piece to this film in that way. Like uh, you're seeing a character kind of a lord and uh, chasing this. It's not as direct as that film, but like you know, she's also kind of chasing this like thing that she can't quite understand. That's kind of throwing her off her axis, kind of uh, you know. Yeah cracking the harmony of her life like this this thing that's been very pristinely crafted and meticulously uh designed and and folded throughout her her years and her career um and you know in that film it's a little bit more uh slow slower it's a little bit more kind of methodical i guess in a different and sort memoria. of memoria it's more yeah, investigative memoria. investigate yeah it's a little bit more kind of like uh melancholic too i feel like but like in a way that i don't know i think i end up liking that movie maybe a little bit more than you did i don't know if you've actually ever talked about it in full but um i i was really taken by that film i feel like that has a similar sort of like haunting quality to it where like there's a lot of scenes that kind of play out uh, in like real time, but it doesn't feel like it's getting drawn out, uh, like, you know, being kind of taffied, pulled out too long. Like it just kind of adds to the, 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 the believability and the, the expanding of the story and the themes. And yeah, I don't know. I just, I think those supernatural elements really kind of add to what I find so, uh, invigorating and kind of haunting about this film. But I mean, we can kind of well, talk about that more. I, if you, uh, I mean, well, maybe what I don't know why we never really talked too much about Memoria, but I, I mean, the entire scene that you're talking about, like the plays on real time in the sound booth, uh, hard, hard for me not to adore that well, scene with I all mean, of the sound mixing and sound editing and stuff that I do on a daily basis. I know? mean, there's so much in that movie that's played on real time. Though. Like, there's that scene where she's like walking uh, to that classroom and they're just like playing like a full song mm-hmm. and you're just watching it like with her and like there's just so many like her getting like a. Uh, like getting ice cream just kind of played out in real time. Oh, there's so many scenes in that movie. I feel like that play out uh, quite beautifully. Um, the one that sticks out to me is the sound booth though, because that was just right, such a like, the, true to life sort of like yeah. just the noodling with sound and trying to yeah. get everything out of it, out of something that you can't really fundamentally change. Yeah. I mean, sure. It's just wonderful, I mean, wonderful scene. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's probably like um, the scene of that film. I'm, I'm sure. I mean, it's, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I just, I just didn't get that same though. I guess I didn't get that same feeling from the supernatural stuff in this because I, I guess I kept, my mind kept getting like jerked around on what was going on exactly because there are scene there are some scenes that sort of play it as her, you know, oh, is this how you make music in her mind? Like this is how she composes and her sort of putting things together. For some reason that didn't connect as well to me with how it seems like the movie is trying to connect that to the way the uh, cellist composes her music and thinks of things more matter of factly. Doesn't have to rely on this sort of puffed up fake version of being a genius in order to improve 
things. And I think I, I, one of my favorite relationships in the movie, like dynamics, is her and Olga, because I just absolutely love the character of Olga and how she just, her, you know, sort of blunt, but obviously like she's just such a great representation of Gen Z to me, where she's just able to take the piss out of older people so easily. And people are so much more obsessed with her than she is with them. There's just something really, I think, beautiful about the way that character is constructed, that it rings true without being a caricature. Like, I feel like I see that character and it's like, I haven't seen that character before, but I immediately understand who Olga is and why she is the way she is. And it's probably the scariest, like, human being in a movie that i've seen since barbarian which i saw last week um yeah i mean i guess like the closest the movie might come to kind of playing into caricatures of uh gen z would be the uh a scene that i really love is the the juilliard scene you know like that that incredible single take and like yeah there's like a couple moments in there where it like kind of verges onto like uh you know stereotyping gen z kind of like putting them into a certain box but that i mean obviously I was yeah, like, oh, it, no, Todd. <laughs> like, but, I mean, that seems uh, also just incredible because it's like it kind of it, it feels like it could break at any given moment and it just plays out mm-hmm. so, so great, so beautiful. It's going, going. And there's a part of you. It's like maybe the scene will go on for 20 minutes. Maybe it will go on for 30 minutes. Who knows? It's just you're, you're, well, this, you're, the, the big scene right before it was uh, the, the interview scene, which was, I think, mm-hmm. like, what, a 10 minute single take? I mean, uh, it was insane. Well, there are a couple of dinner scenes and stuff in between. I know. I'm but just yeah, saying yeah. that the bi- that's why I said the big scene before the big scene. Okay. 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 <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just that, uh, I mean, that's probably like one of the scenes that's going to be, you know, lasting and like probably going to be studied as far as like how it it's written and played out and directed. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just a incredible scene. Um, and yeah, it, it, it verges so easily. Like you said, like it could verge into parody. It could verge into, uh, you know, negative stereotyping, but I think it just, yeah. I mean, what it, was that one we had just talked about where it's like, Oh, like they watch TikToks once or something. We just, we just talked about a movie that did that. And <laughs> that's where I, what I was nervous mm-hmm. about this movie doing. Oh, but I was going to say with your, uh, comment about, uh, technology in the film, uh, I, I think to your point, yeah, it's it, that it's a tool and not a crutch in a way that like. You know, I, I I think for me that was more on my mind with uh, last week's decision to leave, as far as like how it had that kind of old fashioned noir Hitchcockian style of storytelling, right. but it had I a mean, very that's modern. That's why I mentioned yeah. Tar last week when we were talking about decision to leave. Exactly. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. But uh, yeah, I, I wanted to make sure I brought that up before uh, we got sidetracked once more. I mean, that's the thing. There's so many things to get into with this movie that we could just we could spend, I think, all day dissecting all these different scenes. I could talk to you about the the interview scene, you know, for at least, you know, 20 minutes, double the length of the actual scene itself, probably, in which we just our first real impression of this character after we sort of get this diegetic, you know, outline of somebody introducing her, but then we see that it was written for her. And then we see her actually perform, do a performance. Like we never see her really (laughs) conduct a performance, but we see her conduct a performance, if that makes sense. Right. Her persona is like what she's conducting. But not only that, but like we're seeing like her outfit being made, like all these different, you know, small people, uh, not small people, mm. like people are lower on the totem pole, quote unquote. The way she lays uh, out her, records. Yeah, of her, of her life. And then not before that, uh, or not long before that, I mean, uh, we see uh, in a somewhat or- unorthodox fashion, we see like uh, credits that would be normally at the end of the film 
at the beginning and they kind of play out as they would during the end credits. And I love that decision. Uh, not only because I'm one of those suckers that loves to sit during credits. And I love that the movie kind of forces people to sit through credits that they normally wouldn't sit through, uh, you know, to generalize audiences. But, uh, but I also just love that it adds to the commentary of the film, which is that like, it's a symphony. There's like all these people make the noise that we hear. Like, it's not just the conductor that obviously makes it. it's a symphony. It's a, a harmonic, you know, you know, it's this whole everyone kind of contributes to the thing and it's just tar's ego that prevents her from really seeing that she's so caught up in the mystique hmm. the idea of her that this you know she's unable to see that and the movie recognized that and says it from the upfront even having that um shot like when that interview scene starts we don't start from on the stage we start with the uh, um krista with the red hair in the back and the way back we see everything from the yeah. audience perspective and we're seeing it from you know the lowest person but we're hearing all these things about tar so we get the idea of the mystique and everything but we uh feel it always makes it apparent that like we shouldn't believe in the quote-unquote lie yeah. of who tar is it's you know it's a parable it's meant to be kind of like a warning but we also understand warning. the greatness of tar mm-hmm. like you know it's not like we're like supposed to be like tissing tar the whole time because like you said there are these nuances where it's like we see when she is a good or actually decent person like it's she's a lot more complicated she's human but it's you know not meant to be like an endorsement of her or uh how you know she can be a great musician but also recognizing that like she is going to be doomed to fail because she never really sees the things that we're seeing from the get-go i don't know i just think that's all amazing so okay so so what you're saying is that it's not good for one person to have too much power because it takes a lot of people to make something work and that ego can kind of get in the way of something really great being enjoyed by people. Like for example, if you like laid off half the people who work for you after you take over something and you know, this, uh, let's call it an app since we were talking about technology. Let's say we had this great app that had to do with birds or I don't know. And, uh, you just kind of ran it into the ground because you don't know what you're doing. I guess, uh, Todd field is trying to say something about, yeah, parable. I like that word a lot. Um, you know, it's a bit of a cautionary tale, isn't it? I have to think on that. Well, I might want, I kind of want to connect it to current events, but I don't, I just don't have the placement, you know, Oh, somebody that everybody considers a genius, but uses their power. Hmm. Well, I mean, to to quote, uh, someone who's been in the news that seems to be uh, in dire need of this lesson, no one man should have all that power. The clock's ticking. I just count the hours. <laughs> um, I, I, I like that we can just we can go from there. We don't even have to say any any names, right? But uh, okay, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of this movie, and uh, like you said before, Will, I think this is definitely one of those things that like read stuff about it, right? I mean, I haven't read a lot of reviews yet. And um, I'll, I'll be honest, I haven't read a lot of reviews and and had my mind kind of open to anything too much with the movie. I've just seen a lot of like, it's been a bit, bit of an echo chamber of like stuff I already agree with. But I do want to start reading some negative reviews of this and see what people have to say about, you know, what they didn't get. The only like negativity I've seen around this movie has been sort of people who think that like girl boss movies are great. So I'm just like, okay, well, I know I'm not going to agree with them on that. So uh yeah, because this is not a girl boss movie. This is not. I oh, care a lot. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, not that I just not that I care a lot is glorifying girl bosses necessarily. But I think a lot of people I, watch that movie with a weird yeah. take. I mean, I certainly think that movie. This movie is better than that one. But we've discussed that movie. Uh, pretty you know we've discussed that one pretty thoroughly at this point uh the only real criticisms i've heard so far that uh i was kind of curious to hear from you about but this is kind of tricky to talk about because it relates to the ending is i've heard some people 
and say it, it's kind of a little bit racist at the end as far as its depiction uh you know of uh i don't even know how to really get into it without discussing spoilers but um you know it, it, it i've heard some people criticize its uh simplicity of certain cultures in a way that uh you know i i don't know i i, I can kind of understand where they're coming from i think the ending is pretty brilliant but i can see where they're coming from at the same time yeah, I can't say I uh, I jive with that at all. I actually think that uh, anyway, I can't say anything too specific. I think that it's purposefully like I think what he's doing is obviously not malicious. It's speaking to finding the people who don't care about such an uh, American or Western centric person, and I think that there is something kind of uh, I think opening about that or something that's uh, a bit more. I think circumspective about how like we all obsess over these celebrities and think that they're the center of the world and everybody, everybody is just singularly obsessed with, you know, the comings and goings of these, the downfalls and on all this stuff. But I think it ends with just kind of like, yeah, but then when you really look at it, most people in the world don't care at all. <laughs> they have other things on their mind and they're more interested in it, you know, and, and they're just living their lives. And I think there's something kind of quietly interesting about that, but Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, to me, the ending is just like, and again, it's hard to talk about without diving into spoilers, but I mean, comparing to Whiplash, where like that's a film where the ending is like you expect to kind of wrap up at one point and then it just kind of throws you on your heels and it becomes even more brilliant because of what this decision you don't expect and it becomes, you know, kind of masterful in a way that's like it, it shakes you up. In this film, it's a little bit more, like I said, like I think it just kind of lays the cards on the table from the get go, but you get in a way you kind of get caught up in the mystique and you're also aware of the mystique, but at the same time, you kind of you know where things are going, but you're also kind of thrown off in the way that Lydia, Lydia, Lydia is. And it's Lydia. just like, um, yeah, I don't know. I just like the ending is inevitable, but at the same time, it's not the ending you expect. And I think mm-hmm. that just is a credit to Field's direction here and, and his screenwriting that, you know, he kind of gives you the ending you need for the film and the one you should expect, but also not the one you expect at the same time. And yeah, it's just, uh, that's just incredible filmmaking. And you can check out Tar for yourself. Uh, it is playing in more theaters uh, as of October 28th. It did widen its release. I'm not 100% sure how many theaters it's in. I don't think it's uh, a wide, wide release. So uh, hopefully it's in your area because I think there's one worth checking out on the big screen. And uh, we'll ha- we might still have some few <laughs> a few conversations about it moving into Oscar season. Uh, particularly, we didn't mention, but uh, I think Florian Hoffmeister's cinematography in here might get a mention. Uh, the music is from Hildur Guanadotir, who I think uh, I would be kind of shocked if this didn't get a best uh, best composition uh, nod, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. It's uh, Oscar season could be certainly unpredictable, but uh, this uh, at this current moment is one of the ones to talk about. Uh, it is 158 minutes long, so yeah, you're looking at a long movie here. There's about two and a half hours, but uh, I certainly did not feel it. Uh, to me, this felt 90 minutes, but uh, <laughs> I was quite captivated by it, so who knows? Uh, your mileage might vary. Let's play the Rotten Tomatoes game, though. Uh, America's favorite game show. Uh, maybe the world's. I haven't done any focus testing, but we have 210 reviews counted. Lots of reviews. Uh, I don't think we've seen a review in the 200s uh, on Rotten Tomatoes in a while, because I don't even think Black Adam was that high. But at this point, a lot of critics have seen it. So, well, Ashton, what's your best guess? Where do you think Tar, uh, you know, what, what note do you think this uh, movie struck with critics? Uh, I'm going to say it's probably high, but I don't know if it's like 99% high, but I think it's 
it's like kissing that that like echelon of rotten tomatoes. Uh, I'm gonna say like ninety six percent. So it's a little bit lower. Uh, okay. Do you think it's in? Do you think it's still in the nineties, or do you think it's in the high eighties? I think it's in the low nineties. I'm gonna say like ninety two percent. There you go, ninety two. All right. Um, I was kind of curious. I was like, well, will you go much farther than you know ninety two? But yeah, there you go. Ninety two percent. It's certified fresh. What about audience score? We have two hundred and fifty plus verified ratings. Some folks have come out and they've seen it. Uh, I have to imagine. The audience response to this film is uh, notably more mixed than the, the audience uh, score for this score of a movie. <laughs> the audience score for uh, this film, at least based on my audience, like I, I, I kind of went to a, you know, sort of affluent uh, art house theater to see this film. Mm-hmm. And the audience uh, I saw it with were uh, uh, it seemed like they didn't really know what to make of the film. I, I was definitely, you know, positive that my friend I went with it. She was very positive, but it seemed like the crowd was a little bit more uh, tempered, I guess, in their expectations versus the the execution. So, uh, I will say sixty eight percent. That's a little bit higher. Being a little mean to Tar, it's seventy one. So you know, it's up there. I've never I noticed mean, this before, but Rotten Tomatoes has something called Audience Says. Under the critics' consensus. Oh boy, is this a new feature? I gotta read this. Okay. Uh, Tar can be tough to follow, although Kate <laughs> Blanchett in the title role makes it mostly worth the effort. Mm. I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm getting a little snobby, Will, but yeah. I don't understand what's tough to follow about Tar. <laughs> uh, uh, it, it, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's this is a type of film. It's very easy to get snobby about, and you know, I was even just yeah. snobby a moment ago, so I I can't. Uh, I can't say I'm much better, but because uh, I could you know. see people like not being thoroughly interested in every scene, but like not understanding what's going on. Like I, I don't know. I, I struggle to wrap my head around that. But okay. I mean, like I said, I mean, I think the movie very much respects the audience intelligence. I, I it, you even said I think at one point the movie sort of expects you to you know kind of tie some things that doesn't fully make explicit, particularly towards the end of the film, but. You know, I, I can see some audiences not really digging that, maybe, you know, wanting more closure, maybe expecting a certain thing from this movie and not getting that. Uh, I, I I can be understanding. I, I don't agree with that, but I can at least understand where they're coming from. All right. Uh, we don't have a cinema score, but we do have a Letterboxd average rating. Now, this has been viewed or logged on Letterboxd 37,000 times. So uh, pretty good for a movie. You know, this uh, it's not a super, super well-known and uh, this is in, I think, the third or fourth movie of 2022 that we can say is in the top letterboxed 250. So that gives you a nice hint, Will Ashton, of the average rating. Uh, but it is number 202 right now. So that said, what do you think the average rating is from 0 to 5? Uh, 4.3. Quite close. Only 0.1 off. So do you think it's 4.2 or 4.4? 4.4. No, it's 4.2. I would have guessed the same, considering it's in the top 250, but that's a thing. But sometimes the hints can be even more tricky. But all right, that is Tar. Certainly uh, well acclaimed, and I hope that everybody listening here manages to check it out. If they're interested in a theater, that would be ideal. Mm, what yes, are we talking yes. about next week, Lashen? What are, we, uh, are we talking about a movie? Yeah, we're talking about like a, you know. What's coming out? An indie blockbuster, an indie film, I mean to say. Uh, a little indie darling uh called uh black panther colon wakanda forever 
complicated title. I hope it's related to Black Panther 2018, which was nominated for Best Picture. Mm, yes, it was. Um, yeah, yeah I'm I mean, getting ready. I'm, I'm yeah. gonna get ready to see Wakanda Forever today. Oh yeah, so that's I'm right. Excited. You see that today. I see it on Wednesday, and we might just might be able to get our episode of Cinemaholics out a little bit earlier than usual for that reason. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, we obviously, we always want it to be as early as possible. Sure. We want, we want the listeners to enjoy. But, so. you know, I mean, we're a little late on this one as far as like, you know, when it's coming out. Uh, that's all my fault, obviously. But, uh, not you know, maybe fault. it's Pittsburgh's fault for not playing eh, the movie earlier. Nah, I mean, I, for you. I think this movie played a little bit. Uh, I think it's been playing in the city for like a week or two, but I just, I hadn't had a chance to see until this past Sunday. So, uh, that's I'm on honest. me. I was giving you an out and everything, mm. but you were honest with nope. the listeners. That way you, that's what you can expect from Cinemaholics. But, Honestly. you know, Cinemaholics, uh, you know, we try to be forthright on this year <laughs> podcast. Um, Speak but for no. yourself. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm excited for Black Panther, Wakanda forever. I feel like the early responses I'm seeing aren't as enthusiastic as i was hoping they would be i'm not sure what's like and i'm not paying attention i'm just gonna see it I, you know what i i hope i love it i mm. want it and you need I'm, it? i need a win from marvel because i'm pretty close to just tuning out oh man entirely at this point you it's like need a win you've been more charitable than me for the most part i know except for <laughs> well, dr like you, strange you've already you already have like this you're in the acceptance phase where you're just like yeah you know what it's okay like uh you know John, calm down. Like this is how it is, and I'm I'm still sort of like in denial, <laughs> bargaining, all that stuff. Sure, but I mean, but I will say, I mean, the movies. I like some of the shows. Uh, I I feel like Coogler, Ryan Coogler, is one of the few filmmakers at Marvel where I I feel like he has an authorial stamp. Like I watch a Ryan Coogler movie, it could be a Marvel movie, it could be Fruitvale Station, it could be Creed. I'm like, this is a film made by Ryan Coogler, and I hope, you know, even if it falters compared to some other uh, previous Marvel movies, and in line with a lot of the lesser uh, Phase Four movies, I I hope at least has his creative stamp on it. That's what I'm hoping, at least. Well, I think there is a lot for us to say coming up, uh, and let's uh, let's say it then. For now, though, we're going to head on out. And uh, thank you as always for listening. Find us on social media and all that good stuff. Show notes is where you can connect with us. Send us an email, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com, or leave us a voicemail on the Swell app. I'll link to that in show notes as well. From the Internet California, I'm John Negroni. And from the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Washington. See you next time.